You might like to turn to the book of Nehemiah, and uh, this morning we're looking at Nehemiah chapter 2, and reading from verse 1, Nehemiah chapter 2. In the month of uh, Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxes, when his wine was brought for him, I took the wine and gave it to the king. I had not been sad in his presence before, so the king asked me, Why does your face look so sad when you are not ill? This can be nothing but sadness of heart. I was very much afraid, but I said to the king, May the king live forever. Why should my face not look sad when the city where my fathers are buried lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? The king said to me, What is it you want? Then I prayed to the God of heaven, and I answered the king, If it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in his sight, let him send me to the city in Judah where my fathers are buried, so that I can rebuild it. Then the king, with the queen sitting beside him, asked him, How long will your journey take, and when will you get back? It pleased the king to send me, so I set a time. I also said to him, if it pleases the king, may I have letters to the governors of Trans-Euphrates so that they will provide me safe conduct until I arrive in Judah. And may I have a letter to Asaph, keeper of the king's forest, so he will give me timber to make beams for the gates of the critical by the temple and for the city wall and for the residence I will occupy. And because the gracious hand of my God was upon me, the king granted my request. So I went to the governors of Transuates and gave them the king's letter. The king had also sent army officers and cavalry with me. When Sambalat, the Horonite, and Tobiah, the Amorite, officials heard about this, they were very much disturbed that someone had come to promote the welfare of the Israelites. I went to Jerusalem, and after staying there three days, I set out during the night with a few men. I'd not told anyone what my God had put in my heart to do for Jerusalem. There were no mounts with me except the one I was riding on. By night, I went out through the valley gate towards the jackal well and the dung gate, examining the walls of Jerusalem, which had been broken down, and in in its gates, which had been destroyed by fire. Then I moved on towards the fountain gate and the king's pool, but there was not enough room for my mount to get through, so I went up to the valley by night, examining the wall. Finally, I turned back and re-entering through the valley gate. The officials did not know where I had gone or what I was doing, because as yet I had said nothing to the Jews or the priests or the nobles or officials or any others who would be doing the work. Then I said to them, you see the trouble we are in. Jerusalem lies in ruins, and its gates have been burned with fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem, and we will no longer be in disgrace. I also told them about the gracious hand of my God upon me, and what the king had said to me. They replied, let us start rebuilding. So they began this good work. But when Sambalat the Horonite Tobiah the Ammonite, official, and Gethshem the Arab heard about it. They mocked and ridiculed us. What is this you are doing, they asked. Are you rebelling against the king? I answered them by saying, The God of heaven will give us success. 
We, his servants, will start rebuilding. But as for you, you have no share in Jerusalem or any claim or historic right to it. In the second week of this uh, series that we started last week, we're calling uh, Just Another Brick in the Wall. Uh, I'm looking for a bit of a, a better soundtrack than we had last week. So if anybody's got uh, uh, that song uh, on CD, just have a word with me because... Uh, Last week's lacked, I think it lacked a bit of oomph in the, in the song, so uh, I'm looking for a better song and then we can uh, use it as a bit of an introduction. <laughs> I know you like that sort of thing. Last week uh, we were looking at Nehemiah receiving the vision in chapter 1 and uh, we saw uh, that a vision begins as a concern, how the people came to visit Nehemiah and told him about the state of Jerusalem and we said that very often uh, we are moved by a concern. That's how God often speaks to us. Uh, we see something and there's a concern, but we also ask the challenging question, you know, are we concerned for the people that live around us uh, that do not know Jesus? So a vision begins as a concern. A vision is born out in prayer. Uh, Nehemiah, when he heard this, he spent a considerable amount of time uh, praying about it. And so often, uh, this is how visions are born out of the prayer life of the people of God. And then we said that a vision does not always require immediate action. And we said really for quite a while, Nehemiah did absolutely nothing other than pray and seek God. Uh, He didn't go rushing back to Jerusalem straight away. Uh, He waited and he waited on God. And so this week we're looking at uh, uh, how Nehemiah went about releasing the vision. How Nehemiah went about releasing the vision. For a long, long time, the only thing I knew about uh, uh, Nehemiah was uh, he was supposed to be the shortest man uh, in the Bible. Did you know that? Nehemiah. But hopefully over these next few weeks, we'll learn a lot more about this uh, interesting Old Testament character. Um, So releasing the vision... And the first thing I want to say, when you're releasing the vision, one of the most important things is, is getting the timing right. Is getting the timing right. And, uh, and really, this is about uh, praying. It is about praying, getting the timing right. The time uh, that Nehemiah spent before he released the vision was an important time. And sometimes in the Bible, we kind of, we, we don't always get the time frame, do we? Uh, you know, we read things and we don't always see the lapse of in time that happen, uh, that take place between something uh, happening. And uh, Nehemiah, was a, it was important to get the timing right. I thought this morning I, I ought to confess something to you. Uh, because it's a small village and, uh, and, and things do get about. Uh, yesterday... Um, I was stopped by the police. Well, not really stopped. Uh, you, you know when the, the police car behind you, and you kind of you, you're aware of it, aren't you? And you're looking in your mirror, and uh, you know you turn left, and the police car turns left, and you turn right, and the police car turns right, and you're thinking, are they are they following me? And uh, I, I I kind of clocked this this police car at the Haslingden roundabout, and uh, I thought when when I get to Waterfoot. If he turns left towards Lum, he's definitely following me. And sure enough, he turned left towards Lum. And you start thinking, don't you? Have I, have I gone over the speed limit? Um, have, I, have, I, have I got a bat light out? Anyway, he follows me and, uh, 
And sure enough, when I, when I pull up outside the, the house, the, the police car pulls up outside the house, uh, lights flashing, uh, one or two neighbours suddenly appeared, like they do. Uh, you never see anybody, and a police car comes up and pulls up, and, uh, and half the neighbourhood come out. And uh, Sue, I could see this worried look on Sue, thinking, he's, he's been going too fast, hasn't he? And uh, the policeman comes up and says, Hi, Richard. I thought it was you. <laughs> We did a, we did a, I asked my mate to do a check on, on the car just to check that it was you. And uh, it was actually Derek Scott. Anybody know Derek Scott? He used to play for Burnley. Uh, and I came across him when I was in, uh, in Burnley. And uh, followed me all the way from Haslund. And why he didn't stop me before, I don't know. Uh, just to worry me, probably. Uh, but I tell you that story because sometimes it's who you know that matters, isn't it? Sometimes it's, it's who you know that matters. And uh, Nehemiah, last week we learned that he was a, he was a cupbearer to the king. And we said that while he was a servant, and uh, well, there were good things about the job. He got to eat good f- food and, and good wine. There was a, a dangerous side that if the wine or food was poisoned, he was the one that ate it and died and not the king. Uh, but he was in a place of influence. He was in a place of influence. And uh, having received this news from Jerusalem and being given this vision from God that, that he felt that he should do something about it. Um, he chooses his time, getting the timing right. He, he, he picks his time to actually start to release the vision that God has given him. It says in the month of Nissan. Got a bit of a car thing going on here really, isn't it? Anybody drive a Nissan? Uh, may as well do the full catalogue of my car, biblical jokes now, well, now we're kind of here. Uh, you know what sort of car the, uh, the disciples drove around in, don't you? They were in a Nissan, they were in a Honda. Uh, you know, the, the New Testament says the uh, disciples were all in one accord. You have to be a kind of certain age to remember that, to get that joke, because I don't think this uh, Honda do an accord now, but maybe they do, I don't know. But that's uh, the full range of my uh, biblical car jokes, so we'll move on very quickly. Uh, it was in the month of Nisan. Uh, it doesn't mean anything to us. It, in chapter 1 it says they were in the month of, of Kislev, uh, which is, uh, you know, it may as well be written in Greek, but actually it's written in Hebrew. Um, but actually what it, what it means is that a number of months had passed, and the commentators think maybe four or five months had passed uh, in between uh, Nehemiah getting the news about the state of the walls at Jerusalem and actually deciding to do something, to say something to the king. It was in the month of, of Nisan. When, uh, when uh, Nehemiah decides that he's going to do something. Uh, Raymond Brown, in his book about uh, Nehemiah, he says this, he says, In the quiet place, faith is renewed in a God who knows the best time for everything. Believers constantly need to accept that behind life's frustrations lies a divine purpose. Something can be learned from our most difficult experiences. Faith in a God who knows the best time for everything. Well, Nehemiah had been praying and uh, maybe he just felt that this was the right time to share the vision. And the person he chooses to share the vision with, first of all, is the king. And uh, it says that, uh, that the king noticed 
that he says, I've not been sad in the presence of the king before. Never been sad in the presence of the king before. In other words, however his day had been going, uh, he always had a smiley face for the king. Some of you maybe know know that kind of feeling, you know, when the boss walks in and, and says, how is it? And suddenly you put a beaming smile and says, yeah, everything's great. Because we want to impress the boss. Well, it was a bit more serious for Nehemiah. Uh, putting a sad face on in front of the king uh, could have been a very costly thing. The king might have taken displeasure in him. Uh, and uh, the king, of course, had the power of a life and death. It wasn't just tasting the food that was a, a dangerous thing. It was dangerous to be a servant in the king's household. Because if he, if he, if he took dislike to you, he could have you removed. As simple as that. And so he says, I'd never been sad in the presence of the king before. And the king asked me, why does your face look so sad when you're not ill? Uh, this can be nothing but a sadness of the heart. This can be nothing but a sadness of the heart. And uh, some of us know that, don't we? The sadness of the heart, where there's a situation that's just on our hearts, it's on our minds all the time. You know, you wake up and that's the first thing on your mind. You go to bed, it's the last thing on your mind, the sadness of the heart that the king recognizes in Nehemiah, that there was a sadness about him. And, uh, of course, Nehemiah um, had been carrying this round for him for months, that his home city, the place uh, of his father's burial place, it was in ruins. And uh, what does Nehemiah do? Then I prayed to the God of heaven. Then I prayed to the God of heaven. Before answering the king, he sends up one of those arrow prayers to the God of heaven. Nehemiah had spent days and months in prayer, uh, but before he speaks, he prays. Can I say that's not a bad uh, that's not a, bit, a bad bit of advice sometimes. Before you speak, pray. <laughs> you know, before you speak, just a, a, an arrow prayer to God. Uh, the New Testament tells you, you know, pray in all circumstances. In all circumstances. And that was Nehemiah's model, obviously, for life. That this is what he did. He prayed. And before speaking to the king, you can imagine uh, that he, he kind of took a big gulp of breath and he sent this prayer out because he knew that sharing, not only having a sad face, but what he was going to say to the king. Again, it was a dangerous thing, sharing his vision. And sharing a vision is always dangerous. You know, it's always dangerous to share uh, a vision with people because they might not like it. Uh, Not as dangerous for me sharing my vision as it was for Nehemiah because you might say you don't like it, but you're not going to have me executed, I hope, uh, just because I suggest something that you don't like. But he prays to God. And uh, Dave Cave, in in his book, uh, Free to Build, he notes that throughout the history of the church, those people uh, regarded as a people of vision have also been a people of prayer. They live by the conviction that the task ahead was nothing compared to the power behind them. I like that. The task ahead is nothing compared to the power behind them. In other words... Uh, As we were saying last week, Nehemiah had soaked this vision in prayer, but even as he shares the vision, he's still praying. He's still praying to the God of heaven um, about sharing this vision, getting the timing right. It was so crucial that Nehemiah uh, chose the right time, maybe when the king was in a, a good mood. Maybe the king had been a while away for a few months. We don't know. But he picks his time and he senses, this is the right time to share what's on my heart with the king. 
Prayer is so important. Uh, Deborah Green, uh, in her book, uh, Redeeming Our Communities, I, I've not read this book, but it's something that Ross shared in our pastoral meetings, which seemed to tie in. And uh, this is a quote from this book. It says, It may surprise you to learn that prayer is popular, uh, even among non-church-going people. A poll of 2,000 British adults commissioned by the charity Tear Fund for Global Poverty revealed that prayer is considered a vital part of life by nearly half of UK adults, with 20 million, about 42% of the population, population saying they pray regularly, and one in three believing that God is watching over them. What an interesting statistic, uh, that prayer uh, is not just for people in the church. People outside pray. And that's my experience. My experience when I've said, you know, can I pray with you to people that don't go to church? Very often they respond positively. Or those people will ask me, you know, will you pray for me? Uh, as far as I know, no connection with the church. And yet they are, there's something about prayer that people are interested in. And maybe that should be something that we, uh, when we take our survey out into the community, when we go beyond the walls, uh, one of the questions in our survey is going to be about, would you like somebody to pray for you? Would you like the church to be open for prayer? Uh, with something about prayer that can reach the communities. And uh, Nehemiah, in releasing the vision, uh, he got the timing right, and that was about prayer. The second thing is about uh, getting the telling right. Getting the telling right. Um, and this is about planning. Hadn't only been praying. You know, some people are prayers uh, and some people are planners. You know, some, sometimes some, some people, there's a problem, I'll just pray about it, just give it to God. Uh, other people, they want to work out a solution to the problem. And it seems to me that Nehemiah was both a prayer and a planner. He didn't just spend three or four months praying. He was also thinking and planning about what he would have to do, about what he would need, about how he was going to go about rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem. He'd spent a considerable amount of time in prayer, but he'd also spent a lot of time thinking about the practicalities of what it was going to be needed and what it would take to rebuild the walls. So getting the telling right, it's important. It was important that Nehemiah, when he spoke to the king, uh, that he knew what he was talking about. But he was very much afraid. It said, I was very much afraid. There was uh, a fear of Nehemiah. Uh, he thought he'd got the timing right, but who knows? And there was that kind of faith needed to, for Nehemiah to release this vision. It was a step of faith. He was very fearful about the consequences. So getting the telling right is very important. Uh, and the planning, you can see that Nehemiah went into an awful lot of detail. Uh, when the king says, what is it that you want? Uh, this was his opportunity. This was his, his one shot with the king. If he blew it, who knew, who knew what would happen? And when the king says, what does he want? Nehemiah has got a list of what he wants. Um, he tells the king uh, that he's going to need these letters uh, so that he, he, he gets a, a, a passage through difficult territories. He needs some wood from the, uh, from the king's forest. And uh, he needs a little bit of time off. Um, later on, the king says, well, how long is this going to take? You know, you're the person that's uh, tasting my wine in case it's not poisoned. How long are you going to be away? 
Um, it doesn't actually say here, but later on in, in, in Nehemiah, it talks about the fact that he was away for years, uh, whether he actually shared, you know, how long are you going to need off for this, uh, for this thing that's come up in your life? Um, 12 years. <laughs> Nehemiah has, has, has prepared. He knows exactly what to say. And sometimes it's good, you know, to think. We, I mean, we do it, don't we? If you've got an important meeting, uh, you think about what you're going to say, don't you? You don't just go in there. Uh, some people, you know, again, it's praying, planning. Some people say, oh, well, God will provide the words. We don't need to think. God will just provide the words of what I've got to say. And sometimes that happens, but it's not a bad idea to have something in mind if you're going into a very important meeting about how you're going to articulate what it is you want to share with people. Again, when we're sharing our faith, you know, again, we could just say, oh, um, God will give me the right words. But it's not a bad idea to, to have an idea of what you might say if somebody inquired about the faith of what you might say about God, about your relationship with God, about your experience of God. What might you say? Uh, sometimes it can seem very spiritual to say, oh, I'll just, I just rely on God and God will provide. But sometimes it can just be lazy. Uh, Nehemiah isn't lazy. He's worked hard, he's prepared, and he knows exactly what he's going to say when the king says what he wants. He's got a whole list. The king's not only going to give his time off, he's going to fund this whole project. Um, and Nehemiah shares this with the king, getting the telling right. He'd planned it out, he'd thought about it, and uh, he knew exactly what to say. If it pleases the king, if it pleases the king, if I've uh, found favour with the king, again, you get the impression that that the king liked Nehemiah, that he'd been a good cupbearer. You know, that he'd done his job well, that, that here was somebody that the king could rely on. So he had found favour with the king. And he says, if it pleases the king, and then he gives him the list of things that he wants the king to provide for him. Uh, so getting the telling right is so important. And it is about planning. And when we think about a vision for this church, uh, it's important that we don't just say, well, this is what we're going to do. Let's go out and do it. We've got to think about it. We are doing this survey, uh, hoping to go out next week into the community. And we've spent weeks, if not months, uh, talking to people, uh, meeting with people, trying to get the questions just right. And uh, next Monday, if you're free, if you want to do this, uh, this is a time when we're actually going to go out. But we're going to go out prepared. We're going to meet together on a Sunday to make sure that people know what to say if people ask awkward questions, that people are, uh, are looking for people that are isolated and making a note if we can, if somebody says that, well, I am interested in prayer, that we can follow that up. It's going to be a planned approach that's covered in prayer. We're not just going out uh, without thinking about it, but we are going out into this community uh, with the good news of Jesus Christ. And if that's kind of sort of thing that you think, maybe I could do it, then have a word with myself or with uh, 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 Roz or, or, or somebody in the pastoral group and, and we'll uh, talk about that. We're going to meet next Sunday after church to, uh, to do some more planning and praying about that. So getting the telling right was very important. And then thirdly and finally, uh, you know, I've had uh, getting the timing right, getting the telling right. I, I really wish I could have got another team. Uh, but sometimes, you know, you end up using a word that just doesn't help. And so you'll have to forgive me. Uh, getting the glory right. And if you can think of a word with T, that means glory. I, you know, it's too late now. But, uh, but there we go. Uh, but I did get another P because it, it is about praising. 
It is about praising, getting the glory right. Because do you notice that uh, when Nehemiah, uh, he goes in and, he, and, and he, he shares it with the king and he talks to the king about it, um, that, he, that he says that um, because the gracious hand of my God was with me, the king granted my request. The glory goes to God. He could have come out of that meeting, you know, full of himself. Saying, see, see the connections I've got? See the influence I've got? See how clever I was? The king brought it. I knew he would. I sold him this idea and he bought it. Uh, But he doesn't. The glory goes to God. It's because the gracious hand of my God was upon me. Same thing again when he's uh, releasing the vision, when he actually goes to Jerusalem. For a while he says absolutely nothing. Same thing, doesn't tell anybody what he's doing there goes and looks around the walls, uh, sums up the, the, the size of the job, and then when he actually gets to telling people about why he's there, and I love the fact that it says that uh, the officials didn't know, this is verse 16, the officials didn't know where I'd gone, what I was doing, uh, a bit like your minister, because as yet I had said nothing to the Jews or the priests or nobles or officials or any others who would be doing the work. Nehemiah already knew who was going to be doing the work. Uh, but he's not even shared that with him. But when he does, he talks about the trouble Jerusalem's is. Uh, I told them about the gracious hand of God upon me and what the king had said to me. Again, when he releases the vision, the glory goes to God. It wasn't about Nehemiah, it was about God. And when we do things, the important thing is, is it's not about Richard, it's not about anybody else. It's about God. We want the glory to go to God. We want to win people for Christ and we want God to get all the glory as we tell the story. And sometimes you hear people telling the story, don't you? And, uh, you know, you come away and thinking, it was all about them. And we want God to be at the center of our story. We want God to be at the center of everything that we do and everything that we say. I also told them told them about the gracious hand of my God upon me and what the king had said to me. The gracious hand of God was involved in this. Getting the glory right. Nehemiah knew the important thing was that God gets all the glory. As we were going out inspecting the walls, um, we did notice that uh, one or two stones had been removed. And uh, it's interesting, isn't it, that as he starts to share the vision, there's these lovely villain characters. If, if, if ever the villain kind names, you know, Sambalat the Horonite. What a great name for a villain. Eh? Uh, Tobiah the Ammonite. These are great villain names, aren't they? And uh, they are opposed opposed to what Nehemiah is trying to do. And uh, this last week, we had some uh, bricks removed, uh, stones removed from our walls. Uh, I believe that other neighbours also had stones removed from the walls. Not trying to make a huge thing about it, but we start talking, you know, about uh, rebuilding walls. And suddenly some stones are removed from our walls. And uh, the point I'm trying to make is that whenever you release a vision, there will be people who are opposed to that. And we're going to be looking uh, a little bit more about that later in our series on Nehemiah. But again, what is um, the response from uh, Nehemiah to the opposition of Sambalat the Horonites and Tobiah the Ammonites? He says to them, 
the God of heaven will give us success. The God of heaven will give us success. Again, he points uh, not to himself, because they're saying, uh, you know, we've heard about it. They mock, so they're mocking and ridiculing Nehemiah. Doesn't defend himself. He just points them to God and he says, God's going to give us success in this. Because he knows that God has already opened up doors. He's opened up a door with the king. He's opened up a safe passage for him to come to Jerusalem. He's got provided the wood and the stuff that he needs. He knows that God's hand is upon this. And where God guides, God provides. Where God guides, God provides. And throughout this, as he releases the vision, we can see that the gracious hand of God is upon this venture. And whatever it is that we uh, seize as our vision here, one of the questions we have to ask is, is God's hand upon it? Do we see God guiding and God providing as we reach out into this community? As we look out over our broken walls, we see people with broken lives. And we're not obviously going to be about mending broken walls, although that wall might be, have to be mended, but we are about mending broken lives. And I dare say in this community, there are lots of broken lives that lead, need mending. And as we reach out into this community, as we do this survey, as we pray for this community, as we try to share the good news of Jesus in this community, my prayer and vision is that broken lives are healed that people come to faith and that people find God. And 